Hi everyone, this is Mary Boo, and we are just going to take a couple of minutes to Recording get started. Stopped. And we get to listen to the music as we wait for I Want a Family, but I Want It My Way uh, with the jam. We have Jamal Callahan, Adrian McLemore, and Michael Sanders, who and we were just entertaining us, telling us about a trip they just took to the UAE, and I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> Maybe a lot jealous. No, if folks want to, as, as you get started coming in, uh, want to put in, Jack, in progress. What your best, what your best uh, trip has been. And uh, Michael, Adrian, Jamal, where else have you been that you'd like that you think other people should go? Uh, anything Bruce Springsteen related? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I think That's people. Not a place. So New Jersey, New Jersey. <laughs> 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 Is that that's where you want folks to go? I was saying, it wouldn't be top of my list, but I've had some good No, I'm just saying he's going on a world tour next year. So, ladies and gentlemen, get your tickets when they become available. We'll make it a big party all around the world. Uh, no, I think they should visit uh, whatever's on their bucket list. I think Dubai was on my bucket list. Um, I know that uh, uh, Michael had been there before, and I think it was Jamal's first time as well. Um, but um, there's a yeah. uh, UK. I want to go to visit the UK, Rome, Italy. I want to visit those places. Um a few of the spots are on the bucket list um, uh, in terms of Antarctica. traveling. Antarctica. Antarctica. We have uh, want... Stephanie and Chat going Italy and Greece. That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Antarctica yeah, is amazing. Greece is on my list. Greece and yeah. Egypt. That when yes. when uh, Greece is uh, coming soon for me, I think. We'll see. My next I, I saw the movie Greece with John Travolta and Olivia <laughs> Newton-John. That was, a, that was good enough for me. What about Greece too? Did that ruin it for you though? It, it really did. It really did. They, yeah, some things you should just leave alone. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That was one of them. Stranded at the drive-in. Branded a fool. Yeah, I'm going to turn our whole music back say. up if that's okay with everyone. <laughs> uh. It looks like we still have people coming in, but should we go ahead and get started for real? We can just do the uh, housekeeping piece of things. Um, so again, everyone, I am Mary Boo. I'm executive director of NACAC. I'm super excited to welcome you to the first keynote session of the NACAC conference this year. We are really excited to be here with Michael, Adrian, and Jamal. And as always, we want to thank our sponsors and the people who sent uh, a lot of attendees. We had the Kalo Centine and the Dave Thomas Foundation are our sponsors. And then the Minnesota Department of Human Services and the Massachusetts Department of Children and Families sent a number of attendees. So if you are from Minnesota or Massachusetts, put it in chat, throw it out there. We are glad to have you here. Um, we'll do a little bit more housekeeping now. I think most of you know this, this session is 90 minutes long. Our keynotes are a little bit longer. Uh, no one will be able to speak, but we really hope you interact. Um, please use the Q&A option to put in questions. I will come in at the end and ask those of the guys. And then if you have chat, use chat to communicate with us about technical issues. You can chat just directly to panelists. If you wanna share information with everyone, you can choose to go to panelists and attendees and uh, our presenters will be asking you to participate in chat during this session. The other thing we hope you will do after the session is um, access, there's no handout for this session, there will, uh, but we do hope you'll use Whova afterwards to tell about what you learned in this session, communicate with other attendees, um, share what you've done, and then after the break, go to the exhibit hall and, and talk to our exhibitors there. 
But that is it for our intro. So I'm ready to turn it over again to uh, Michael Sanders, Jamal Callahan, and Adrian McLemore. And I know I got that out of order. So I think I just made you guys madge or majah. Um, <laughs> I apologize. But again, thank you so much for being here today. Really looking forward to this presentation. Thank you, Mary. The end is near. And so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway and more, much more than this. I did it my way. Regret. Woo! You can't go wrong with old blue eyes. Old Mickey Blue Eyes. Mickey? I thought his Welcome, name was Frank. Gentlemen. Gentlemen, this is our second Knack Yak virtual conference. We were here last year, and it is so excited to be back. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Daily Jam. Let me introduce you to our team. We got first... Jamal. That's the J. That's the J. I'm Adrian. That's the A. A. And this is your boy, Michael. That's the M. That's the M. Yes, we are the 21st century version of the Rat pack that (laughs) is uh we would actually be more successful as the rack pack if uh michael and jamal did what i told them to do well i I don't know but out of all of us michael actually resembles sammy davis jr the most (laughs) yes he does and and because i have a cold i kind of sound like i've been smoking cigarettes uh been a chain smoker for 72 years like he is or was um but yeah uh, this is exciting. We were here last year at the first, virt- first the inaugural virtual conference for NACAC. It was supposed to be in Canada, and um, we're back for the second year. How you guys feel about that? Excited to be back. Uh, thrilled to yeah. see all of you, even if it's virtually. And I know I can't physically see your faces, but happy to be back. I, we had a lot of fun, a lot of fun last year. Uh, and yes. we were happy, happy, happy that Nak Yak was like, all right, guys, we possibly could bring you guys back. You guys weren't too bad last year. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, like we, a, it's like an I see a lot of people. Yeah, and I see a lot of people. I see Minnesota. I see South Dakota. I see Florida. I see Canada. So we have a lot of people. Gabriel is right down the street in Cambridge, Maryland. So shout out to those from Maryland. And I also saw Alaska and Canada in there as well. So shout out to my Canadian Woo-woo. neighbors and family up there. I love Canada. What's what's the weather like, I wonder, up there? But thanks. Alaska, thank you to Thank you to Mary Boo and her incredible team there at NACAC. Uh, as well as the NACIAC board and our mentor, uh, the president, I believe she's still president of the board, Denise Goodman. Uh, she may have gotten fired because she does some suspect things all the time. But let me <laughs> let you guys know <laughs> a, a little known fact about Mary Boo, a little known fact about the executive director of NACIAC. Um, there actually is a song by Usher and Alicia Keys called My Boo. And that song was um, made uh, because of Mary Boo. If you just take the 
A and the R out of her name, it becomes my, M-Y, and her last name is Boo. So my Boo was made for Mary Boo by Usher and Alicia Keys, little known his, uh, fact about you Mary You came Boo. up with that all by yourself? I really did. My question is how long did it take? <laughs> you know how my brain works. Yes. My brain I works. started singing anyway, a song since, in my head. Since we were here last year, fellas, uh, there have been a couple things that's happened. We want to just kind of update uh, our group here today. Um, first of all, if you were not at last year's conference, we have a podcast that's called The Daily Jam. And so, yes. um, fellas, What's new about the podcast or, you know, introduce the folks who, who've never been uh, or have heard of our podcast. Tell them a little bit about it. And then let's tell them kind of talk a little bit about real quickly the new segment that we developed for our podcast that's different this year that we didn't have last year. Well, I will say I am excited because, listen, this is our third season. We are literally on our third season of the Daily Jam podcast. Um we originally started this podcast because we wanted those people who work with teens, who house teens, who were a fan of teens to get to know more about teens. And let me tell you, between season one and season three, we've been able to inform a lot of people about just how to work better with young people. And if you want to know more, please make sure you follow the daily jam on all social media platforms. Now, if you are one that follows us today and you hashtag NACAC, we will be giving away Daily Jam t-shirts. So go to Daily Jam on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter account. And if you hashtag, and if you hashtag NACAC, you will win a t-shirt today. Well, we're going to pick one person from each pick one person. Uh, social media platform. Yeah, not everybody. But one person from Facebook, one person from Instagram, one person from Twitter, uh, new followers today. Uh, we I will see pick, coming in um, already. Yeah. So Here for those, for to give a little bit more information about the podcast, though, uh, because Jamal gave that quick salesy pitch about the podcast, and we need to tell the people why they should listen. And I'm going to tell you right That's now, right. ladies and gentlemen, you should listen solely for the reason that this year there is a special single episode done by yours truly called The David Ruffin Show. Um, that you should listen to, which gives you the perfect insight about the Daily Jam podcast. <laughs> but besides that, <laughs> besides that, what I mostly love about our podcast, and this is non-biased because I'm a co-host, um, is this is the feedback that we get from listeners all across the country, is that people love our rapport and our ability to mix music and humor with real and serious content. And so if anything else, if you need, I saw a comment in the chat that said, I love starting my day with energy. If any other reason that you need your day to start with energy, listen to our podcast. We cover a lot of subjects around teen related issues. And what separates us this year in terms of our third season from previous years is we got a lot of guests on the show this year. and We're diving deeper into uh, some aspects of that. And then our new segment called Tripping with Teens. And so when Mary was talking about uh, our trip to the UAE, that was actually specifically done to uh, kick off our Tripping with Teen segments. And so we actually talk about teen culture in the UAE and uh, young people across the UAE and all that good stuff and some of our fun adventures. So tune in uh, to that episode as well. That's right. You can listen to it on any of your favorite streaming services, uh, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or even some of the smaller versions of them, you can find us. All you have to do is search The Daily Jam and you should be able to find us. Speaking of the Knack Yak 
president, uh, board president, she is texting me right now saying, where's her T-shirt, fellas? <laughs> so, I want to uh, go for, Denise, and say on the record that, Mama Denise, if that is you, that all the T-shirts are being housed at Michael's facility down there in yes. Atlanta. So, And that is a true statement. However, <laughs> um, I gave a, a, a shirt to Jamal because he lives down the street from you. And if he if you didn't get it, uh, then blame Jamal. I'll send you his address after our presentation. I will, I will, I will not be accepting these lies. <laughs> not, <laughs> not today. today. Not, today. <laughs> not today. All right. All right, fellas, what are we talking about today? Uh, we got a lot to talk about today. Yes. Yeah. We got. And so we have an agenda. This is what we want to kind of talk about. The first thing is we want to kind of talk about why youth engagement is important, um, particularly from a youth's perspective. Remember, the title of our conversation today is, I want a family, but I want it my way. Just like Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way. Yep. Uh, the second thing is we're gonna talk about is what permanency means for youth. Oftentimes we look at permanency from the lens of systems and policy and practice, but uh, what does permanency mean for young people? Because it is oftentimes very different than how we define it as adults. And then Jamal, why don't you take the last one? Yeah, and you know, we're also gonna talk about tips to engage youth. We know that the power in moving forward is making sure that the youth are engaged because there's no way they'll learn how to drive a car unless they're driving it. So we want to give you some of those tips to make sure that they're engaged and they have some say in how they see their permanency. So the first word of the oh. day is engagement, engagement, engagement. Uh, this is not only in this forum, but also in the forum when you leave this con conference, virtual or otherwise, um, tips to engage youth and authentically uh, well, what engage I, them. What, yeah, authentic engagement is, is critical. But what I got from what Jamal said is that you got to let a youth drive a car, your car. <laughs> I heard that part, too, so that, but I didn't want to get into that it, debate because we because we spent our entire car, keynote <laughs> talking about why you should or should not drive. Car? It's a state, you know. Okay, that's insured. Go. Let them drive <laughs> Gotcha. All right. It's insured. Yeah. I'm, I'm just uh, going to reshare my screen just so I can optimize sound because we got some awesome things planned today in terms of what we plan on doing. So, all right, now we're good to go. Yes. So, yeah, we want you to be engaged. Keep your um, comments coming in the chats. We are definitely monitoring those. Uh, we're definitely going to take questions at the end um, as well and, and try to respond to as many of your questions that you have. But we want to engage you in this fun uh, journey or this conversation about um, how do we actually truly authentically engage young people? Because it's not that they don't want a family. They're just like Frank Sinatra. They want it their way. All right, fellas, we got a game that we want to start off with. We have a game. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this is another opportunity for you to win. As we are going through uh, our segment, we will be putting up uh, an emoji game. So you are to guess what the movie is based on the emoji that you see. And the first person in the chat, the first person in the chat to get it right will win a Daily, Cham Daily, Daily Jam t-shirt. Yes. Uh, so there are three, four opportunities to win. All right, ladies and gentlemen, four opportunities to win. So let's get ready to go. All right, so I, since I'm in control of the leaderboard, just think of me as like the black Alex Trebek, right? <laughs> do, we, do we have the music or do I have to sing it? Uh, I'll cue up the music after the first one since you just said that, and I'll cue I'll it up, Je the Jeopardy theme song. All right, here we go. Two emails. Oh, I won. All right, we got a winner already? Yep, we sure do. I see it in the chat box as well. 
Is it Jalea right, Williams? Well, here's a, here's some interesting thing. There's Jalea Williams one, but there's a couple of different uh, uh, answers as well. I see Mortal Kombat, and I also see Malcolm X, which technically, technically, if you look at it, right. if you look at the emojis, yeah, I could see where they were going with that. But it could be. All right, so Black Panther is the winning, is the correct answer. And so Jalea Williams is the winner of our first piece, or our first prize, right? All right, so yep. what is it about this movie? Well, first, we want to make sure that we, we're looking at how the strengths of, of young people. And if you remember Black Panther, um, a lot of people focused on Chadwick Boseman's character, the Black Panther. Um, but we want to focus on Killmonger, Michael B. Jordan's uh, character, because there was a lot of things that when we originally looked at him, we saw him as the villain. We saw him as someone who was coming to try to take over. But what we didn't look at, and I think the Daily Jam has looked a little deeper, is his strengths. The strengths that he had uh, growing up. We know that early on in the movie, if you remember, and if you haven't watched it in a while please take a team take a young person and, and re-watch this the young as he was a, when he was a kid his father was actually killed by t'challa's father right so there's a lot of things a lot of that a lot of things that he experienced as a kid that actually got him to the point that he who he was as killmonger so we want to kind of dive into to that at this moment i was I'd, go ahead mike no, go ahead. I was, uh, I was just going to say, in addition, before we get to the clip, I want to say a couple things about Black Panther and um, teenagers and teens in general, uh, in addition to Killmonger's character is, ladies and gentlemen, take a look at this movie holistically. I know a lot of us went out and rushed into the uh, theaters to watch this when it first came out. Um, but what this movie it, to me does um, in terms of it, engagement and in terms of the beauty of this movie is it talked a lot about culture and belonging and a sense of being accountable to each other and family. And so when we, in the field that we work in, when we're talking with these young people about defining permanency and defining family, this movie is a perfect movie yeah. to talk about all the nuances and challenges related to family and that not every family is perfect. And so there are a lot of characters in this movie who have a lot of great assets, but a lot of these characters have a lot of great flaws and a lot of them made a lot of tough decisions that they thought were right at the time that they made those decisions. And so this movie, in addition to it being a superhero movie, in addition to it being a Marvel movie and a, a cultural movie, there are a lot of things about this movie that absolutely taps into what we do. Uh, in child welfare yeah and so as you look as as we set up this clip that we're going to actually play of uh, the character killmonger played by michael b jordan which so happens to be my daughter's uh celebrity crush or as, denise goodman, <laughs> as denise goodman calls it uh the person that she has poster sex with oh my god um, she loves <laughs> she loves she loves michael b jordan um but michael my, his character killmonger really um uh, compares quite well to young people who kind of grow up in foster care. If you remember from the movie, if you haven't uh, seen the movie, you definitely want to kind of see it. But if you, those of you who've seen the movie remember uh, that his father was killed at a very early age. Yes. And so while it didn't talk specifically what happened to him at that particular point, the assumption is, is that he probably ended up going into foster care. Um, 
Yep. Uh, and then, you know, he is the nemesis in the particular movie or the protagonist in the movie. And so, you know, everybody looks at him kind of and in his behavior and the things that he does in a very negative way. But very few people kind of take a look at why he is what he is. And so let's talk a little bit about this clip as he is introduced to the folks from Wakanda. Uh, we'll play the clip and then also keep in mind uh, how long he held on to that trauma. You need to get him now. Eric Stevens. Graduated Annapolis, age 19, MIT for grad school. Joined the SEALs and went straight to Afghanistan, where he wrapped up confirmed kills like it was a video game. Started calling him Killmonger. He joined a JSOC ghost unit. Now, these guys are serious. They will drop off the grid so they can commit assassinations and take down governments. Did he reveal anything about his identity? He has a war dog tattoo, but... We have no record of him. Is this man Wakandan or not? house serving justice to a man who stole your vibranium and murdered your people justice your king couldn't deliver i don't care that you brought claw only reason i don't kill you where you stand is because i know who you are now what do you want i want the throne <laughs> hey you the tuna Y'all sitting up here comfortable. Must feel good. It's about two billion people all over the world that looks like us, but their lives are a lot harder. Wakanda has the tools to liberate them all. And what tools are those? Vibranium. Your weapons. Our weapons will not be used to wage war on the world. It is not our way to be judge, jury, and executioner for people who are not our own. Not your own. But didn't life start right here on this continent? So ain't all people your people? I am not king of all people. I am king of Wakanda. And it is my responsibility to make sure our people are safe and that Vibranium does not fall into the hands of a person like you. Son, we have entertained the charlatan for too long. Reject his request. Oh, I ain't requesting nothing. Ask who I am. You're Eric Stevens. An American black operative, a mercenary nicknamed Killmonger. That's who you are. That's not my name, princess. Ask me, King. No. Ask me. Take him away. Ungubani, Indigo, Indidaka, Unyanaka, Njogu. I found my daddy with panther claws in his chest. You ain't the son of a king, you're a son of a murderer. We have all seen son. Lies! I'm afraid not, Queen Mother. You? I'm going to go to the house. Hey, Auntie. 
I'm exercising my blood right. The challenge for the mantles of King and Black Panther. Hey, auntie. <laughs> you know, we talk about strengths, right? Of, of young people. And even in, um, even in his trauma, the fact that he graduated at 19 from Annapolis, right? Um, says that he has some strengths and some skills. I just wanted to point that out. Uh, I also wanted to point out the um, question in the chat posed by, oh, I do not want to butcher your name, uh, your first name, but the last name uh, is Williams. Uh, I would like to defer to Jamal since he's the one that said he grew up in foster care. So, Jamal, why are you assuming that Killmonger uh, grew up in foster care? Technically, that was Mike that said that. <laughs> but um, this is a, con this is a conversation we've, we've actually had, though. Um, yeah. because it didn't say yes. anything about his mom. True. Um, and yes, it could be an assumption, but the fact yeah. is his mother wasn't around. That's what the movie gives us. Right. Um, and so his mother wasn't around also at the beginning of the movie when he was solely with his dad as well. Right. Which is another nuance, right. um, that you can talk about. Yep. Go ahead. So and it, it just depends on how you look at it too. Maybe his mother was in, uh, even if his mother wasn't the picture, there's still the trauma of his father who he was very, very close to not being there. So yes. we talk about behavior and how behaviors uh, are information for us. We have to only assume that that was his driving force to not only his successes, but his, his behavior of revenge. Yep. Okay. All right, fellas, we have another movie that we want to before we kind of give, you know, the points of these movies. All right, here goes our next emoji movie. Here Click it is. Chat. What do you think it is? There we go. We have a winner. Uh, Jerry, we got the winner, three. but let's but let's see a couple more answers come in because it's always funny. Uh, Blair typed in Princess Bride. Princess Bride. I'm trying to figure out how a sword, a horse, <laughs> yeah. and a young lady ends up being a princess. No judgment. No judgment. <laughs> Shrek. <laughs> Shrek. <laughs> Narnia. Narnia is a good choice. Narnia. I mean, when you think about it, Narnia is a really good choice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The so the wardrobe. So the winner is, is it Sherry or Sheree? It looks like Sherry. Yeah. All right. So Mulan. So make sure that uh, Britt is going to uh, contact you to get your information uh, so that we can send you out a Daily Jam t-shirt for that. All right, fellas. What is it about this movie? Uh, go ahead. I, I can go first. Uh, so first of all, we're going to do some highlights uh, at the end of both these movies to find out what they both have in common. But I would just want to say that the new Mulan, the live action version, I actually enjoyed a lot more from a live action standpoint, but I actually missed the music from the cartoon version. And so that that childlike innocence versus the adult theme kind of versions um, of Mulan. One of the things that I actually love about this movie uh, is woman empowerment. And so the way that I looked at Mulan was Mulan was told to sit down and shut up in her world. She was silenced, and the logic behind that silence was tradition. How many times have we used the excuse or the explanation that it's policy, it's practice, that's the way it's always done? Or in other words, we rely on tradition in child welfare. So Mulan is a great, great, great movie in terms of uh, going against the system, going against the way things have always been done, and turns out that she actually had a lot of contributions, and she was responsible uh, for saving uh, the entire kingdom uh, that she was from as well. Yeah, and, and her behavior depicted that, right? 
you you really wanted to serve your country. She really wanted to go, not necessarily go against her father's wishes, which, again, like you said, we see that in the system a lot where we might connect to an uncle or a cousin that the system feels that isn't that responsible or, you know, it, it, they don't live up to their standards of being a permanent connection. Um, and then we act out on that. Yep. So. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sure that there has to be some folks out there that are wondering, okay, pretty cool movies. I get it. I've seen them. I like them. What does that have to do with the price of tea in China? <laughs> Listen, the bottom line that, is... That was a little play on Mulan, even though it wasn't necessarily... The price yeah. of tea in China. Right. There you go. <laughs> 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 Listen, um, we, we have to remember so, one thing is that youth are assets. And when yes. we engage them in their permanency planning, um, however, however that may look, we have to truly see them as assets. Mm-hmm. Not only yeah. are they assets, and, and I think that they have assets too. Like that's that's important yes. as well. So not only are youth our assets, young people have assets. And oftentimes, especially the young people that we come in contact with or that we interact with or that we deal with in the child welfare arena or the child welfare space, we often forget to tap into those assets that young people already bring to the table. And both can be said from Killmonger's character and Mulan's character. They both had assets. When you were hearing the rundown of the CIA in terms of Black Panther, those are all skill sets he developed. Now, they may have been born out of pain and trauma, but he still was very, very highly intelligent. I'd like to remind you of one of the scenes where he was in the museum um, talking about the history of the artifacts in the UK and how how intelligent he was. Same thing with Mulan in terms of her swordsmanship, her skill, her intellect as well. So young people have assets and they are assets as well. Yeah. So I think one of the, the, the struggles is, is those of us who are professionals, oftentimes it's easier for us to view young people through the eyes of their behavior. That's what we see in our face every day. That's what our families see. Um, folks you know, end up rejecting young people because they are not viewed by their assets. Um, the narrative that is created for them is really um, based on the behaviors. And of course, the right. behaviors are based on the trauma that they've kind of experienced. Um, we don't sometimes recognize um, that the best way to recognize or to uh, learn a young person's asset is really by engaging them. Yep. And so one of the things that these two movies have in common um, is that, you know, even though the uh, the characters were different, you know, one uh, character in, in Black Panther, of course, he was a protagonist uh, in, in that particular, you know, movie. Um, and Mulan, uh, her character was not the protagonist. Um, it, it's just that still we kind of, they were kind of, they were young people, um, but then we kind of viewed them based solely on their behavior and didn't look at the assets that they actually brought to their community. Yeah. And so one of the tips for our our listeners out there is one of the tips that uh, I have for you is give young people opportunities to show you their assets and their skill sets and the opportunity to practice those skill sets and those assets. Uh, And so not just identifying and having conversations about them, but give them opportunities to show you what they can do. Absolutely. One tip we want to do is that, you know, oftentimes we think that, you know, when we're visiting young people, we have to ask them a bunch of questions and things like that. Oftentimes engaging them in a very fun way or a practical way, like sitting down and watching these movies and say, hey, what character do you relate to the most? And kind of tell us why. Um, And so uh, you can actually use music. 
You can use movies, kind of like we're kind of doing today. Um, one of our favorite things, of course, is to use music uh, and engaging young people and having these types of conversation uh, so that you can begin to see uh, them from a strength-based approach versus just um, the behaviors that they exhibit due to the trauma that they've experienced. Now, Courtney Lehman said in the chat, um, and I'm, I'm not going to read everything, but she said, relationship building is key to getting to know who your young person is. That way you can engage them. And I'm paraphrasing what, what they know and what they can bring to the to their planning, uh, to their future. And Courtney, I yeah. agree with you. Uh, you really do have to build a relationship, whether you are a foster parent or you work with a young person. That relationship mm -hmm. is key. Yeah, and I, yep. and Susan said in the chat that the cartoon version of Mulan had a lot. The music was amazing and it had a lot more emotional elements. And I just want to say for the record, that is very very true. Disney does a great job at pulling at the heartstrings. I saw another comment that said yes, that do. this is the way, um, which is a Star Wars reference. And just to bring it on home from a personal standpoint, Star Wars is very huge uh, in my household. My kid and I love 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 the Star Wars franchise. That is how we connect, not just from the versions that they've released in the theaters but also these new shows that they continue to release. Um, that's a way that we bond. And so that's, again, a, like Mike said, there's a tip that you can connect with young people over television, over movies, over things that interest them. And you'd be surprised that when you take a trip to their world, how much they open up and they engage with you. Yeah. Actually, I have seven, seven tips of, of developing relationships with young people. One of which is showing interest in their interest. And so whatever they're interested in, whether that's music, whether that's video games, whether that's you know particular television and movies, engage with them in that. Uh, and that would be a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Matter of fact, when my daughter was young, she's 28 now, she uh, was a cheerleader. Now, personally, I never totally understood the, the hype around cheerleading. I was an athlete in high school. We never paid attention to cheerleaders. I've been a fan my whole life of sports, never paid attention to cheerleaders. So in my mind, they were useless. But she wanted to be a cheerleader when she was five in the little Pop Warner <laughs> football team league. I was like, okay. And I took her there. She played, she cheered two seasons. Her team was 0-14 in two, in two seasons. <laughs> Proof positive that cheerleading does not work. Not only that, but I had to take wait a minute now. Don't don't be throwing cheerleaders under the bus like that. That the cheerleaders are not out there running I, the plays. They I, are on the I, sidelines I, I, motivating the but, the audience members. They, well, obviously they have not motivated them in a way that uh, was that helpful. But the point is, is that I took her to every cheerleading practice. I went to every game and I cheered for her just as hard, if not harder, than the folks who were cheering for their team. Um, and so. Uh, I even take her to see a movie, and the movie was called Bring It On. Ah, uh, yeah, Gabrielle Union. <laughs> it was about cheer. Yes. It was about cheerleading. Um, and uh, the funny thing about the movie is, is that uh, you know she loved the movie. We bought the the the, the VCR uh, tape, VHS tape, and then we bought the DVD tape. We I think we saw the movie two times or three times in person. Um, but the best part of the movie is when Sparky Polanski came up and said that cheerleaders are dancers who's gone retarded basically. So is what he said. And so no offense to any cheerleaders or former cheerleaders. It's too late. It's too late. It's too late. You are already offending people in the chat. The you literally. Part, the the, the only Green. thing that I'm saying, the only thing that I'm saying is, is that because I was not interested in cheerleading, she was interested in cheerleading. And so how you build relationships is you simply show interest in their interests, whether you have an interest or not yes that. cheerleaders okay. have assets too thank you so much yeah. for putting that in the comment katie <laughs> and, Listen, and yeah i think that one of the biggest things too is, as to your point mike is music because we know music has evolved there's a lot of music that you know 
us older generations don't like our young people's music, but you know, you got to get into it. You got to, I do that with my teens every, every <laughs> time I get a chance. So I listen to their music just to see what they're listening to, why they're listening to it. Right. Yep. Right. All right, fellas. So our big point is, is that we wanted people to, to focus on, you know, that, you know, of course, young people have assets and that we have to kind of focus on their assets in order to help them to find permanency, particularly their way, because they want permanency, but they want it their way. So we have a couple of other movies that we want to kind of talk, use to talk about our next major point. We do indeed. Here we go. All right. Put in the chat. In the chat or listening. Uh, oh, that's a hard one. Yeah, this is a hard one. I'd also like to go on record and say that Jamal sent this particular emoji. And so far, we have not gotten the right answer. Slumdog Millionaire. Oh, these are some some good ones, though. There we go. There we go. Karen. 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 Karen Karen Meyer. How did you come up with that? Pretty woman. I like that. Yes. (laughs) All right. Why did I get married? <laughs> oh, That's so a really good one, too. Card. It is Annie. Yes. Annie, uh, which, you know, of course, started out as a musical um, and had some great music that was actually a part of that particular thing. What is it about this movie, gentlemen, that makes it important to our conversation? You know, whether you take the the old version, the original version of Annie, or even the 2014, this version of Annie, um, mm-hmm. it remains that young people have a mind of knowing what they want. I mean, in full disclosure, I knew I wanted a family while I was in care because I did grow up in foster care, but I didn't mm-hmm. know how I was going to obtain it. Plus, the family that I wanted to be with didn't get a chance just didn't get a chance to have that opportunity. And uh, so it kind of, it, it to me, it's like you, we have to be able to listen to our young people when they're saying, these are the people I want to be with. This is who I see as family, as a permanent stay. Um, so understanding that, one, it also doesn't happen overnight. So building those relationships, listening to the young person. Uh, and that's what Annie did in, in both versions. She stated what she wanted. Yes. Uh, what I love about this movie, one, uh, I love the New York City and mayoral politics of this version. I actually like this version more than the classic version uh, and not just for the characters. Uh, also, this did a good job, at least in my opinion, of n- not making it about a, an orphanage, but more so about foster care. And even though that they did make it about foster care, Annie was so assured of herself, even though that she missed her parents and she was always searching for them, she was extremely confident and she learned to play the game. And so when she ran into Mr. Stacks, played by Jamie Foxx's character, uh, and she knew that he was just in this to take pictures and X, Y, and Z, and she stated what she wanted clearly and articulately from the get-go. And I think that that's, again, going back to youth or assets, I think that's hugely under... um, understated in terms of you know false youth not being timid or false youth not having their own voice or false youth not being able to communicate what they really want this movie to me was the ability for her to showcase not only her talents but also her intellect and drive and determination to get what she wanted out of life uh, and constantly reaching for those goals and again uh, a shameless plug here I actually rewatched this movie last night with my kid and as I was sitting here rewatching it my kid was literally on the couch singing 
this every single song word for word because she literally had just watched it a week or so earlier. And so she was providing her take on it as well. So, uh, again, it's one of those great feel good movies with a lot of nuances to it that you can watch with a young person, um, young or old, um, and talk about it and discuss. Yeah, my daughter yeah. loves it. All right, a lot of great points to this particular movie. What's the yeah. next movie? All right, get ready for your opportunity to win. A uh, we were going to play a clip, Mike. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yes. All right, set up the clip. Yes, so this clip, I think, is called Opportunities. It's actually a new song that was added into the remake. Uh, and one of the things that's not shown in this particular clip that I do want to point out uh, is Mr. Stack says a quote that I absolutely love that I wrote down. And it said, when we say no... We're actually just scared to say yes. And so when we talk about, I'll go ahead, Mike. I was going to say, that's a quote that he actually got from Annie. That was, he uh, repeated that, that she had said a little bit earlier uh, to him. One of the reasons that he was. Right. So when we get later on into the, uh, to our uh, session today and we talk about youth permanency and unpacking on why young people say no, um, uh, and being scared to say yes. Also at the same time, um, there is a quote later on. I'll have to find it, but let me play this, uh, set up this scene real quick. This is a uh, showcase. They were at an event. Um, opportunity was absolutely trending on TikTok right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, very timely, yeah. which is why my kid yes. said that she went back to watch this movie. So again, connecting young people to their world and finding out what their interests are. Um, but this is just a fantastic song, her showcasing. Because of time, I don't think we're going to play the whole song, but we'll just play like a little, a little piece of it. I know. 
Hercules, Hercules. Here, here Hercules. Tears in the chat box right now. <laughs> it you it know, really so, it really it tucked me at the heartstrings too. And I think it's the strings, it, man. It's the strings that get the, me every time. The, you know, I, th I think one of the things, great thing about this movie, Jamal alluded to it um, from the original uh, Annie movie and and um, uh, musical was that they kind of updated it. You know, they moved kind of from the orphanages, recognizing that we really don't. Uh, do that in our field anymore. And they kind of went to this uh, foster care uh, type model, which is what we're kind of currently using. But gentlemen, she said something in that song, which was actually interesting to me. And yep. I just had the thought, what if permanency was presented to young person or young people as an opportunity yes. um, I, yeah. and communicated that to them um, that this is an opportunity that you can actually take versus this is just something that you have to do because the system uh, forces us to do it or talk about it. And so how do we have that conversation around um, convincing young people um, about taking advantage of every opportunity that presents itself to you? It's interesting that you say that, Mike. I actually really wrote that down in my notes when I was rewatching last night, and I put in quotes, look at me and this opportunity. I think that we all, and when I say we all, I mean the system, and young people have to change the way that we look at it and how we rephrase and how we reformulate the conversation around uh, permanency adoption. Um, because oftentimes we are trying to draw a line that says you are in this situation. We need to move you over here because that's the happy ending. That's what happens. A child is in need of an adoptive home. We have an adoptive family. Go be adopted. Uh, and we put all these policies and practices and systems in place to try to facilitate that linear line. And truth is, uh, truth be told, opportunities zigzag all over the place. The opportunity could be here one day, gone the next. And to a comment that someone had put in the tick, uh, to put in the chat, where they said that Daddy Warbucks was unrealistic to most adoptees, uh, I I agree with that in terms of his wealth. I do not agree with that in terms of his personality and who he was, meaning he came into yeah. the situation with intentions and motives one way. And when he was presented with the opportunity to see Annie for who she is and what she could add to his life, uh, he changed his mindset and he changed his approach. Uh, and he even, uh, you know, towards the end of the movie, he even said, I'm no longer want to run for mayor. I'm actually going to focus on the things that are important to me. So if you t strip away the money and you strip away the politics in terms of that, that particular part of the storyline, what I took from this, from viewing it from my lens was, uh, Annie saw an opportunity to help him. He saw an opportunity to help her and they both changed their minds. Uh, and they ended up being a good match for each other. So I hope that made sense. It made sense in my head when I was thinking it. No, no, it, it definitely made sense. But I think this also allows us to really look at what we're doing systematically to involve and engage. Again, we're back to that whole engagement piece. Um, mm -hmm. I know there are several jurisdictions that I've worked with personally that do uh, permanency roundtables where they actually have the young person there. They are um, aff affirming these young people and <clears throat> they truly have a say. Uh, in what they see their future as. I know there's some family team meetings. Um, I know we do work with uh, some jurisdictions in California that that's what they focus on and the young person is in on that. But one thing that I love about the permanency roundtables is that the young person are able is able to actually 
tell the staff who they want in their meeting, who they feel that are their biggest supporters, whether it be their parents, um, uh, a school teacher, a gym teacher, uh, a boss on a job that they have, which all can correlate to permanent connections. So having these types of meetings, making sure that the youth is in the driver's seat on who's there and who supports them, again, I think are vitally important. And those are the opportunities that I think we can make in uh, systematically. Yeah, we got some good comments in the, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah, make sure you're reading. I I don't wanna repeat all of the comments in the chat box, but make sure that you're following the comments. People are are saying some really, really good comments. Uh, Carrie, Courtney just had some really provocative thoughts. Um, that we want to make sure that you kind of pay attention to as we. Yeah. And Courtney's uh, comments that Courtney's so, comments that every voice matters is I thought I just want to bring to the surface here because I think Annie highlights that aspect of that Annie was not silenced throughout this entire movie. Annie had a voice. She had a voice in the particular uh-huh. foster home that she was in. She had a voice when she was talking uh, to Mr. Stacks or in the previous Annie version, Mr. Warbucks, like all th- th- that character or that Annie and that voice exists in all young people. If that voice is given the opportunity to grow and develop. And please keep in mind, and I like to equate this to teenagers as well, is that young people may not say it the way that we want to hear it. And that's also very, very important when we're talking about when they're talking about their future yes. and their opportunities. So it may not come out in an elegantly sung opportunity scene song from a movie. It may come out in sarcasm. It may come out in little snippets. It may come out in different languages that they know and that they use and not necessarily the way that we are listening to it as yeah. with our adult ears. Uh, yep. yep. Yeah, it'll come out in anger, frustration. Um, so yeah, so a, a part of it is that recognizing permanency really is is a process, both for the young person. It's also a process for the adults that they have to. And so, uh, Mr. Stacks, you know, while his initial intentions were not pure uh, and really just kind of wanted to use Annie as a photo op, that really began to change once he saw Annie as who she really was. And so, oftentimes, people we we sometimes forget that this concept called permanency really is a process that people have to go through. Yep. All, All right. right. Next movie. Let's, let me go ahead and click the site. Look, see, we were so good. We wanted to hit it again. All right, here we go. <laughs> the next movie. Uh, got one. Ah, see, but I always love seeing the extra ones that come in after it. So we got Shazam, Flash, Flash the Incredible. <laughs> The Incredibles, Harry Potter. That's actually a really good one. I didn't even think about that. Black Lightning. Um, black Lightning is a little difficult given that the emoji is not black. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, Fantastic Four is a really good, get really good one. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. But the answer that uh, someone got it first was indeed Instant Family. Instant Family, I'll just say my initial comments before we show a clip, and we are going to show a clip about uh, this one. Uh, Instant Family, if you have not had a chance to watch it, uh, I strongly encourage you to watch it um, from the simple mindset that there is a lot of humor related to the subject matter of foster care and adoption. And that has traditionally been taboo in Hollywood because we all know that foster care or the reasons behind foster care could be very traumatic. Uh, and very drama filled, but I like the way that this movie paired the real life issues of the trauma and the drama that happened in these particular families, but also the movie was very, very, very funny. 
Uh, and so similar to a comment that uh, Kim said, we had an opportunity to do a screening of this movie here as well. I know some of the people that have played in the movie and the writer and director of this film, and it is actually based on his story. It's a fantastic, fantastic movie about family, about expectations, about going in with intentions of one way, looking at it from this point and being completely changed when you run into the situation that they did um, with the the sibling group. Um, I think that that is a theme for these last couple of movies where we're talking about we have the intentions of we want to go in and adopt for the right reasons. We want to foster for the right reasons. However, that still butts up against with the particular family that we are paired with. And in, in this case, this sibling group of three, they come from a situation where the mother, you know, has some substance abuse issues and some neglect issues and the kids were subsequently placed in foster care. But there are a lot of other family dynamics that took place with that sibling group that clash with the intentions of this well-meaning to do uh, foster to adopt family. And so I think that the, um, that this is just a fantastic movie to watch with young people if you have not had a chance to um, and see how you both can relate or all of you can relate to uh, what is going on. I don't know if Jamal and Mike want to add anything to it. No, I just wanted to add what I loved about this, too, is that um, the writer just didn't take his story. Like he took some time to go around and meet with other families yep. to get their take. So it's more of a holistic viewpoint versus yep. just it being his. So what I got from a lot of parents was I can truly relate to this story because this is this is our story. We've lived this. And I love the movies. So. Yeah, and that family support group in this movie, hilarious. The lady who wanted the big old black football player has me <laughs> yeah. in stitches every single time. All right, uh, let's show the clip. I'm sure everybody's seen yep. this movie, but this is one of our favorite clips. Yep. Guys, mom's here. All right, get up, get up. Come on, come on, let's go. Lita, come on, be your stuff. Bye, Meatball. Hey, I've got a car seat for Lita if you don't have one. You guys picking us up? Where's mom? She was supposed to meet us at the office this morning, and she didn't show. She didn't answer her phone. What, did you go to her house? Did you what, did something happen to her? Yes, we went to see her. She was very ashamed. She said she can't do it. No, she didn't. No, because why, why would she, um, why would she fill out all the forms and then the court stuff and the reunification stuff? She didn't. Lizzie, your mom said you filled out all those forms. Why help but so what? She felt she was being pushed into something that she wasn't ready for. No, I, I didn't push her. She's ready. Just, just, just let me talk to her, please. And then, and then we can figure something out. And honey, she can take me home. Honey, when we saw her, it was obvious she's using again. She's not coming, baby. Sweetie, we're so sorry. Lizzie. Lizzie. We'll go get her. Wait, watch the kids. Wait there, okay? Lizzie! Lizzie! My parents. No, we're not. But you know what we are? We're here. That's right, we're here. And we love you. <laughs> what? 
No, you don't. You don't even know me. Yes. Hey, uh, what, what the hell's going on uh, out could here? Could you just give us a few minutes, please? Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a lot of comments in the chat uh, talked uh, talked about wait okay all right uh, talked a lot about grief and loss great here's the quick point that I want to make about this particular scene that maybe kind of is missed because we focus so much on the emotions of the young person the caseworker said and I quote she felt she was being pushed into something she wasn't ready for and that was the mom. And the mom had the ability, and adults had the ability to make the choice not to go through with things that they are not comfortable with. And young people don't always have that luxury. And so I just wanted to point that out, that even through all of this, that that adult had the ability to back out of getting her kids back because she felt she was being pushed. And how often do young people feel pushed or how often do young people feel pressured to go through with adoptions or considerations or placements and they don't have the luxury of saying, absolutely, no, I'm not going to do it, unless there are going to be significant uh, repercussions and consequences or being labeled or being uh, as difficult, challenging, stuff like that. So I just wanted to make that point. Yeah, I think bottom right. line, permanency is a process. Yeah, it is. And it, it wasn't that Lizzie didn't want permanency. Um, she wanted it her way. She wanted to go back to her family. Um, and it wasn't until after she realized that that wasn't an opportunity um, for whatever her mother's issues were, were she able to kind of settle into uh, and looking at the new family as an opportunity uh, for her. And so I, I think a couple of things that we need to kind of think about our system is, you know, even terminology that we're using, the concept of permanency is really foreign outside of social work. You know, yep. no one outside of foster care or child welfare uses it. Nobody in our family ever talks about it or kind of say, hey, you had any permanency lately? And so I think that young people sometimes are often confused by what it actually means. And so one of our first steps is to help young people to kind of understand the concept of what permanency actually means and what it means to them and present it in a way that feels like an opportunity. Adrian talked a little bit uh, earlier about unpacking the no. How do we actually help young people to kind of unpack the no? Because many times, and I saw some of you uh, in the chat said that you guys uh, do that, uh, whether that's in training um, or with young people, uh, helping them to kind of uh, figure out what they're actually saying no to um, and not necessarily um, uh, what they want to kind of say yes to. And so we have to kind of make sure we kind of do that. Both, uh, it's a process both for the young person, but also for uh, the families as well. Uh, and so a part of our job is to making sure that before a family can kind of say yes to a young person, they have to kind of feel like they know the young person. And so we have to find and look for opportunities in different ways so that they can truly actually see this young person, hear this young person, understand this young person from an asset-based framework versus just the behaviors that uh, this young person exhibited. You saw Lizzie yep. exhibited a lot of behaviors, um, but they were able to kind of take those behaviors, particularly with the help of the support group and those types of things, uh, take those in context uh, of what she's kind of been through and not take them personally. So yep. we want you to leave this point or understand the point, permanency is definitely a process and that for young people, you cannot skip any steps in that process in order for them to really uh, understand it uh, and be ready to um, uh, move towards permanency. 
Yeah, absolutely. So lots of great comments in the chat. Lots of good points uh, being made throughout. So we have one final movie to show you. One final opportunity for you to win a coveted Daily Jam t-shirt. And here, I want to give you guys a half an hour warning just as you head into this. Okay, awesome. So awesome. look, and now we're even on crunch time. So we just got the on high signal from God who just turned out to be with the female voice because I didn't even see. And all of a sudden, I just heard this voice come down from the clouds that said, you have 30 minutes left. All right, here we go. Last one. It is up on the screen. All right, what you got? I think this got to be hard. Ghostbusters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Casper. Yes, Casper oh, was good. I see one. Oh, who was, was it Denise? Yeah. No. Big? Was it, was it Big Dan? was good. Big was is a good guess. Ghost Rider. Monica. Monica. Beetlejuice. Oh, Monica, I didn't yeah. even Monica. think about Beetlejuice. Yes, Beetlejuice is a good answer. Okay. And the winner is Monica. It is Soul. Yes, one of my favorite right. movies. It's a very, 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 very Another fantastic Disney movie. Another Disney classic. Another yeah. Disney classic. Just the entire guy. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Uh, I actually want to show the clip first because my point yeah. is made after the clip because there's a, there's two words that it said that kind of, again, goes under the radar that I wanted to point out. So this is, if you have not seen Soul, fantastic Michelin guy, Michelin tie guy, fantastic, <laughs> fantastic movie that Disney has done. Um, watch it with your family. Watch it by yourself. Fantastic, fantastic. Let's play this very, very small, like, 20-second clip, though. Dr. Borgensen will be matched with Soul number 22. Oh, we're going to get into this now. Excuse me. 22, you've come out of this dimension right now. How many times do I have to tell you? I don't want to go to Earth. Stop fighting this place. I don't want to. Go to Earth and have a life. 22 has been at the U Seminar for quite some time and has had such notable mentors as Gandhi, Abraham Lincoln, and Mother Teresa. <laughs> I made her cry. Ignore that. Put me down. We're truly glad to have you here, Dr. Borgensen. <laughs> It is an honor having you prepare 22 for Earth. I'm going to make you wish you never died. Most people wish that, 22. <laughs> Off you go. Bye. <laughs> Such a funny, funny, <laughs> awesome, <laughs> awesome movie. The, the one thing that I want to say about this is uh, when uh, he talked about Mother Teresa said, and uh, uh, 22 said, I made her cry. And he said, ignore that. He said, ignore it. <laughs> and I just wanted to point out that we like to sweep the behaviors and the failures under the rug. And even though yes. our intentions are good, we don't do a good job of finding out the why, which could help us from a youth perspective and that of our system. So he made Mother Teresa cry. But did we ever find out why he made Mother Teresa cry or why it didn't work out with Abraham Lincoln or why it didn't work out with Gandhi? We just kept shipping him or her to a different person, different home, different situation, different institution without finding out the why behind the behaviors. Because I think that if we were to invest in that, we would be able to uncover what the true issues are and subsequently have found the correct mentor for 22 that would have led to long-term success. So that's the point that I wanted to make mm -hmm. from that particular scene. Or even family, yeah. right? Yep. So when you, when you put it in, in our air arena, it's as a worker, you know what families would do great with certain teams, right? But they also can possibly fail miserably. But to your point, Adrian, it's not about the right mentor or the right family. It's what are we doing to address the issue, the behavior? What is what is the behavior telling us? 
because we can have those superstar parents all day. But if we're not getting to that yeah. bottom line and those reasons, then we're not going to be successful with them. Yeah, this this clip, one of my favorite clips in this particular movie, because it really kind of describes what we want to get across to folks here right now. Uh, this particular soul was incredibly resistant to the process that was created without his or her input. Uh, they did not want to come to earth. They were uh, they used the best folks that they had had available to them, Abraham Lincoln, um, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, to encourage the heavy hitters, young soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like who, who can turn down Gandhi? I mean, <laughs> right. somebody who starves himself to death and, you know, almost like I'm, I'm like, you know, anytime Gandhi says something, I, I, I want to do it. Yeah, because then Mother Teresa, like the nicest person, like in the history of of earth, uh, who can kind of turn her down? Um, but yet this soul was so resistant to the process. And I think that one of the major reasons that young people, and I want to hear your response, fellas, uh, as well as folks in the chat as well. One of the reasons that people, young people are so resistant to this concept of permanency is because there's two different types of permanency. One is system permanency. Yep. The process that we have created as a system many times without the input of young people to move them from one system, um, foster care, to another system, a family system, uh, which is actually great intentions and things like that. But then there is another way that young people view this concept of permanency and family that is uniquely uh, different. And sometimes it feels like the opposite, uh, uh, their view of permanency versus what the system or how the system views permanency. What do you guys think about that? No, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that we have to, we have to look at the relations, the relational piece of permanency. Um, because one, what, that fear of, and, and I want to say, uh, D Cousins said it in, in the chat, the fear of losing their connections, right? Mm-hmm. So if a young person has the ability to choose someone who they already have a relationship with, regardless of what again the system feels or what they think now again there is the area of safety and i'm not dismissing that but when you have the young person has the ability to choose somebody that they know Mm -hmm. um it's more than likely that that placement or that opportunity would stick and it's yeah so that that opportunity will stick and you know they'll somewhat live happily ever after because there's already a relationship there um, I th- yeah, I think that it's it's recognizing that every uh, sort of like my OCD, everything has a time, everything has a space, everything has a place, including the voices of young people and how they contribute and how they define family. And that's a lot of uh, what's being said in the in the in the chat box right now um, that we value family as adults. We value uh-huh. relationships as adults. And if you listen to a lot of the conversations that we have, like even the Daily Jam or even you and wherever you may be, we talk about a lot about our childhood and the influences that people have on us, whether it be grandparents, aunts, uncles, those favorite cousins, those trips, everything like that. For some reason, we lose that connection or that process as it relates to young people in care, as if they don't want those same things, as if young people in foster care don't want the favorite cousins, those vacations, the mom, the dad, the both, the aunts, the uncles, the grandparents, and and how they don't want to keep those connections. 
uh, and those friendships and those bonds that they form in schools or in their neighborhoods. And so oftentimes when we are coming up with these policies and these practices, we are looking at it from a safety lens. I get that. I understand it. You will get no argument from me about that. But why do we often forget what it was like to be a 13, 14, 8-year-old young person with people that you love, know, and trust and wanting to spend as much time with them? Everyone in our family, everyone that we grew up with, grew around, they weren't perfect. They had their flaws. They had their issues as well. That doesn't necessarily mean that we can't have some type of connection, some type of relationship with them. And it appears that we always other our young people when it comes to having those serious discussions about opportunities and talking about their future and who they would like to spend their life with and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I think that we, you know, as a system, we're going to have to kind of, you know, reinvent um, permanency and what it looks like, uh, particularly for older youth. I think that um, for, for younger kids, oftentimes our system, our policies, our procedures, our protocols, oftentimes are developed and work very well for younger children. Many times they're not developed to be successful with older children because there is a different set of needs, there are a different set of behaviors, uh, adolescent brain development, they are at a different place. And so I'm supposed to be moving away from family or the concept of family and pushing towards independence or interdependence. Uh, and so the whole concept of trying to get me to attach to something when my mind and my brain um, and development is telling me that it's to push away, it's going to be something that's uniquely different. And so I think that when we look at our system, particularly for older youth, we're going to have to redefine that uh, and that legal permanency can be a byproduct um, of, of permanency and should be a goal. However, for older youth, um, relational permanency probably is going to be the thing that's most important to them. And so how do we have those conversations uh, uh, becomes really, really important about who do you actually relate to? Who do you already have a relationship with? Uh, I put a couple of poll questions in the HOVA app, and I don't know how many of you have been uh, paying attention to that app. Wonderful app. I love it. Um, uh, but usually we kind of do when we uh, do our unpacking the no training sessions, we have an activity where we um, uh, ask these questions. It's called take a side activity. And one of the questions is, is uh, or statements rather, and you say whether you agree or disagree with it. And I want to hear people's uh, or you know people respond in the chat to this. The first one is all youth want a family. Um, agree or disagree? Go ahead. A few people put it in the chat. All youth want a family. And generally, most people agree with that particular statement. Um, yeah, every now and then somebody will disagree and say, well, this kid said he doesn't want a family. Yeah, exactly. And generally that disagrees because they've had a kid who said that they didn't want a family. Oftentimes when they say they didn't want a family, they're speaking of the families that we found for them. I don't want a foster family. I don't want an adopted family, yep. but I want my own family or I want my friends that I consider to be family or I want the gang that I run with that I consider to be a family. Yep. Uh, so they may define family differently than our system. But the next statement, uh, it's interesting. All youth are ready for a family. Agree or disagree. All youth are ready for a family. And, and a lot of people will kind of say that. And this is where I want to push us as professionals in our particular field, because a part of it is, and these are rhetorical questions. You can put responses in the chat if you want, uh, but I know that we want to get to questions and answers uh, real quickly. Um, uh, but a part of that is, you know, how, how do you define family? How do you define yep. ready? What tools do we use to let uh, us know if a kid is ready or not? Generally, it's their behavior. When a kid starts acting right, 
uh, or when a kid is adaptable, yep. you know, or the behaviors, you know, that families are looking for, then we actually kind of say they're ready. But then when I ask people to kind of define family, how do you define family? Uh, and people say things like unconditional love. And so if I change that family to, you know, all youth are ready for unconditional love, most people would change their um their, their answer from disagree to I agree with that. Or um, I, I want to be heard because that's what a family is supposed to do, heard or accepted. Um, all youth are ready to be accepted or all youth are ready to be heard. Then many, many people will then begin to agree with that particular statement because of how our system so narrowly defines the concept of family versus what a family is designed to be able to do. Um, and so there's a difference between how youth view permanency, which is relational, and oftentimes how the system view permanency, which is primarily legal, uh, and we kind of get dinged from the feds when we don't uh, get kids legal permanency, even though for a young person, uh, relational uh, is uh, what they're looking for, um, or all that they can kind of take at a particular time, particularly within the time frame that we actually have. Yep. Good point, Mike. Uh... Uh, Jamal and tons of engagement in the chat box uh, that exercise the agree or disagree is always really really fun to do especially on the unpacking the no um, particularly when the question gets to all youth deserve a family uh, that's always a good discussion started uh, I want to uh, end with this there's a case example that we wanted to show um, which is a real example this is a real life example that the Daily Jam the 220 experience helped a particular county with um, but before we get to that and before we get to some of your questions because we see some of them already queued up in the chat box is I want to leave you with this quote from my fantastic fantastic grandfather Nelson Mandela uh, he is my grandfather Mandela. twice removed and remarried to my grandmother uh, Winnie uh, he always says and this is plastered throughout my office on my computer screens everywhere uh, it always seems impossible until it's done now we recognize the three of us because of our lived experience and because of our professional experience we recognize that this work is very challenging and we recognize this work is very difficult and so it is one thing to sit here with you for about 90 minutes and show you some clips and have fun and engage you but we recognize that you still have to go back and do this tough work but we also know that it can be done. We also know that we have seen the success of when you do engage families, when you do engage youth, we do, when you do look at policy and practice and think about new ways of doing things. And so a case example we want to use that we had uh, recently um, that we want to share with you really quickly um, is that we had a 15-year-old young lady in a particular county who was looking for and needs permanency. Um, and here are some stipulations that she advocated, though. She said that she wanted a home with no males whatsoever. Um, she desires her own room. Um, and this next one is is the one that pretty much gets the, the kicker, though. Um, please. Wait, wait, before, before you ahead. say before you say that, Adrian, let me say this. So one of the reasons because we, we said that we have to engage young people. Yep. We have to ask them, what does a family look like to them? And so these are her responses, because this is really the first step. <laughs> and, and getting young people to uh, accept the process or understand the process is engaging them, asking them what they want from a family. So this yeah. is what she said. This is what she said. So she, right. uh, she wants a family with no males. She desires her own room. She identifies as bisexual. But the last one is she practices witchcraft. And she wanted to make sure that a family understood that she practices witchcraft. But, Mike, it wasn't necessarily witchcraft itself, was it? Well, let's let's say this. Let me ask this first of all. Just by hearing that, yeah. put in the put in the chat if you have a family that you think could meet this young person's stipulations. Home with no males, 
uh, that be comfortable with her sexuality, which is uh, bisexual. Uh, she okay, desires her own she room. She has a couple. Uh, uh, desires her own room and practices witchcraft. And, and a family that will kind of support that. All right, All right. We have mostly no's, but we have a couple of yeses. Okay. Um, unfortunately, no. Yeah. All right, Adrian. Okay, go back to your yeah. question. What was your question? Yeah, I was about to say this, and, and um, also there was a stipulation that she communicates with the devil or Lucifer. Uh, it was specifically said that Lucifer. she. That's right. Um, so, yeah. Mike, when we were discussing this case, um, the question was, does she actually practice witchcraft, or is it something else? So this was, yeah, this was a real case council that we actually did last month, I believe. And first of all, uh, you know, I was at home in Atlanta. Uh, Adrian was at home in Baltimore. Uh, our clients were in California. And Jamal and was I'm in like Columbus. Sitting there. Yeah, Jamal was in Columbus. I'm sitting there like freaking out, like, oh my God, <laughs> never had. I mean, I've dealt with a whole bunch of young people in my life, never with witchcraft. This was a first for me. And usually when you've dealt with, you know, a type of kid before, you have those stories in your mind. So you're you're cool. You're like, okay, I, I can go with this. I can I can tell them how to, you know, walk this path. Uh, but I was so incredibly nervous, you know. Um, and so the first thing that I did while we're on this is that I Googled witchcraft, yep. you know, um, and kind of what that actually means. And there were a and someone just said really, in the chat. really good yep. articles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a couple of really good articles. One was actually from the New York Times. Um, I forgot where the other one was actually from, but I kind of sent them actually to the folks uh, and kind of read them really quickly that talked uh, about witchcraft and how the narrative of witchcraft is not nearly as negative um, as oftentimes uh, our traditional Judeo-Christian values have kind of made it to be in this particular country, uh, at least. Um, and so we began to kind of, first of all, redefine, uh, not redefine, but really, you know, get an accurate definition of what right. witchcraft actually meant, um, particularly for this young person. And then there were some particular questions that we wanted the worker to ask this young person um, to make sure that they were defining witchcraft in the similar way that we actually have. But it, it actually turned out to be a really, really positive. Uh, right. Experience. And it actually turned out to be what is been put in the chat, that it was actually Wiccan, that it was a uh, it was a particular yes. part of it. And we sent those articles to that. Um, so to yeah. make a long story short so that we can kind of get to your questions, ladies and gentlemen, we discovered that the reason why that she needed her own room and please keep in mind that I'm saying needed her own room. And the reason why she needed yes. a home with uh, males only as we were uh, dissecting this case and asking the thought provoking and engaging questions, we discovered that this young lady had been abused. She had been sexually abused and she had been sexually abused by a male. So her yes. thought process is I need to feel safe. I need to feel comfortable. I need my own room. So it wasn't a desire. It was actually a need out of safety in terms of identifying a family that had no males in it, again, that is trauma related. So she needed a home where she felt safe and comfortable to do that. Secondly, or thirdly, excuse me, the particular area of witchcraft, and I'm putting that in air quotes because that's not necessarily what it is, as some of the chats might, or uh, uh, as the chat is saying about it, it's a particular Wiccan part of it. She was using those things to help her uh, cope safety. She was using that, that particular practice, uh, with positive energies and positive, uh, things of that nature to make her feel good and feel better about the situations that had happened to her. So it wasn't communicating with Lucifer for evil demonic spirit purposes. She was actually communicating, um, for, um, uh, for safety and, and coping. And so when you're, when we, what we recommended is that we recommended that she has a room and that that room is a need. 
um, due to safety. Uh, we sent some articles to help the staff better understand what uh, Wiccan is. We also asked for supports around her mental health and uh, school for say, uh, educational purposes. And the last thing, which I also saw in the comments as well, is we also asked to continue to provide her with unconditional support and acceptance of who she is and where she is. Um, because traditionally, when she would mention all these things to our caseworkers and staff, they did what most people do. They formed their own opinions, their own conclusions at the beginning. It was like, wait a minute, we don't understand this, or this is not, oh, no, 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 parents aren't going to accept this. She had a particular uh, foster uh, foster home placement that agreed, and then that placement disrupted within two days after they saw her set up her room in the way that she wanted to set up without diving into why she was doing that and for the reasons before it. So uh, that's an example of how kind of tying everything that we've talked about today and the ability to connect with young people and understanding yeah. why behind they are making yeah. the decisions that they are making. Yeah, and, and a part of it is that, you know, the, the folks had to, figure out how do we communicate the assets that this young person brings to the table in order to kind of talk about it. What are the assets of the Wiccan community um, or witchcraft community that she uh, is actually a part of and actually uh, practicing? And then how do you actually uh, communicate that to um, folks? And of course, you have to be very you know uh, specific around that. The other thing was, is what Adrian you know, said, is that um, what while initially it was presented that this is what the young person wants, um, when we kind of ask a little bit deeper, we kind of found that those weren't just wants. I don't just want my own room because I want my own room. It actually was more of a need based on the trauma that uh, the recent trauma that she actually experienced, you know, and I don't want any males in the home. So you have to kind of turn sometimes the wants into needs so that you can actually now advocate for the needs of this young person um, and not just once because their, their first response was that's a luxury. You yeah, know, I didn't even have I wasn't in foster care and I didn't have my own room, you know, and so they were kind of looking at it as more of a luxury than uh, a need. Yep. So All we right. got some uh, it's question and answer time with our time left. we got about 10, 10 minutes left. We're going to leave a little bit of time at the end for Mary to come on and to do the survey aspect of it. But there are a few questions in the Q&A section. If you have additional questions, please put them in there as fast as possible so we can try to get them as fast as possible. Uh, one is more of a comment. Competitive cheerleading is serious. Marching bands are just as important. So uh, that's probably directed at Michael yes. Sanders. Uh, that question <laughs> is answered. Yes, marching bands are important. Uh, yeah, that's right, because Jamal was in a marching band. That's right. Uh, collegially. Yeah. yeah. For God, for Central. For State. That's right. So this question uh, is from, uh, uh, last name is Julian. How do you work through situations in which the families the youth want to be with are not the most appropriate? So um, that, that that is actually a very good question. Um, and normally I kind of throw back, and I think that's one of the common questions. One of the things that I kind of throw back is, why is it not in, why is, is, why is that family not appropriate? If I think that my uncle is appropriate for me, just because you as a worker or your system doesn't find him or her appropriate, does that make them not to be actually appropriate? And so part of it is really kind of challenging us uh, as a system to kind of re-evaluate what appropriate actually means um, uh, to, to that. So that's generally my first response um, to, to a question like that. Gentlemen, what do you guys say? Yep. Just what you said, Mike, I mean, what makes them unworthy or, you know, not suitable, you know, now yeah. if they had nothing, you know, they didn't have crimes against children. If they did, I understand that. But if they didn't, like mm -hmm. you said, what deems them inappropriate? And I think that's yeah. something that we really, really, really have to look at. Um, and what spaces can because, we create? Oh, I'm sorry, Jamal. 
No, good. I said just because we don't like them as a system, because either where they live, mm-hmm. their profession, um, that does not mean that that is that's not the right space for that young person to be in all the time. Yeah, and I was just going to add that, you know, are there spaces, opportunities, and environments that we can create that makes them appropriate? And for how long are we determining that it is not appropriate? Again, if it's not a crimes against them, crimes against children, or any other severe safety risk uh, for that particular one. Yeah. Uh, Next question. Go ahead. What, let me say let me say this because I think a part of it as, as our system and, and a part of this is that we want um, our system to kind of um, to to do a self-evaluation of, of itself and if we're honest and we kind of look at our rules and our regulations uh, about uh, foster care and adoption and who can you know be a part of our system it's really based on a middle class white value system and so when we look at the other cultures that kind of come and become a part of our community, you know, uh, while sleeping on a bed is, is great. And I think that all of us love and would definitely uh, all of our children, you know, have a bed. Um, it's not necessarily a necessity for some communities and some cultures. Um, and some kids have told me I would rather sleep on a couch with my grandmother in, you know, an overcrowded apartment than to be in your foster care system. Um, but yet our foster care system won't necessarily allow that. And so we have kind of created this middle class value system uh, to kind of judge on whether or not a family is good or not or appropriate. Gotcha. So there are a couple more questions, about three of them to be exact. Uh, I'm going to jump to this last one because I, I hope, and I'm looking at Mike, I hope we can answer it very quickly so we can get to the other questions. Someone asked, what is Jam's personal professional experience with child welfare? Where does your knowledge come from? Great, great question. And we neglected to say all that up front. I believe the number right now is we have about 100 and some odd, is it 125 plus years combined experience in child welfare. So I have lived experience in two different systems, aged out of the system at age 18 and have been working in the field uh, ever since. So I have lifelong yeah. experience as well as lifelong professional experience uh, in child welfare. And you, you always fail to mention that you are also a kinship parent. Oh, yes. I am also yeah. was a kinship parent as well. So yes, I, I your nieces and nephews. Yep. All right, Jamal. Yeah. yeah. Um, also lived experience. Uh, also work is have been working in uh, this arena for a good 20 plus years, uh, not only on the advocacy side, but on the um, on the consulting side, helping, and that's what we do uh, as the Daily Jam and the 220 Experience. We help systems kind of look at what they're doing to help them uh, kind of recreate or also uh, just restructure what they're doing for young people um, that they work with. Yeah, very good point. Um, and uh, I have uh, 30 years of professional experience and uh, also was a kinship parent for my nephew uh, while he was a teenager and was a foster parent for teenagers as well. Uh, Jamal and I go way back. I've known him more than half of his life. Uh, yeah. I was actually his his therapist when he was actually in foster care. But I think the unique thing is that we bring that 360 uh, point of view because we not only uh, have professional experience, but we all have some type of lived experience uh, within the systems that we work. So you're going to shout Great out Jamal question. and not the fact that you and I met at a conference when I was a teenager and I asked you to be my mentor? Oh, okay, whatever. Let's yeah, move on. To- yeah, I'm gonna go that because I've regretted that decision ever since. So. <laughs> All right, block it from my mind. <laughs> Two more questions. Uh, what can you do to help foster care youth when they want to live with you, but you are not a permanency option? What can you do to help foster youth when they want to live with you, but you are not a permanency option? Well, I, I think just defining that. I, these are big, you know, big kid conversations, adult conversations, right? Uh, we can't be afraid to shy away from from those conversations but i think the key is if there is a relationship you can let them know exactly what you're able to do 
Um, like even if it's so simple as, hey, if you need a place to to come over, do your homework, or to to, I mean, you want it to make you feel like home. You might not be able to live here, but my place is open to you. You know, when you need it or if you need it, yeah. it's just making sure that your boundaries um, and your role is clearly clearly defined. Yeah, when you say permanent, yeah, say, you point. mean to tell me that you can't have a permanent relationship with them? Now, again, like Mike, uh, like Jamal said, it may not be a living arrangement. But again, when we're talking about, as today, when we're talking about thinking about this differently, who says that you cannot have a permanent relationship with that young person and always be a supportive, caring adult whenever they feel the need or for you to call upon them when things are going on in their life? That is another form of permanency. Again, we have to get away from how we are legally defining permanency versus having a permanent connection with a young person saying, I always have someone in my corner. I always know that I yeah. can text, call, email, visit uh, this person, even though I may not be able to live with them. Mm -hmm. my, my question, because I, I usually you know, like to answer questions with questions. I push back on uh, the, the author of that question and ask, why not? Why aren't you willing to kind of be a permanency option? And I, I don't want you to answer you know, this question or anything like that. Um, but if a young person chooses you, you know, that, that says a lot. You know, this young person obviously kind of wants it. And so it may not be a good time in your life. I, I totally understand it. You may have a criminal record, so you may not pass your state's background check. I don't know, you know, but um, <laughs> the question then becomes, you know, could you be a permanency or what would it take for you to become a permanency option, particularly if that young person is choosing you. Um, but I, I totally agree with with uh, Adrian and Jamal's, you know, kind of points of view around, you know, having that that conversation. Okay, I cannot I cannot provide this for you, but this is actually what I'm willing uh, to kind of provide for you. And young people oftentimes are able to kind of understand that and accept, you know, that. I think that the more we actually do that, that that's how I found young people um, come to terms with their birth families um, is that when they accept their birth families for who they are and where they are and take what they can get from them um, and then get all of the other things from another family, usually they're able to kind of balance that situation out gotcha. uh, a lot better. All right. Last question before we turn it back over. A lot of great comments. There are a couple of other comments that came in the Q&A, but they were just comments. Uh, and so, we, you know, fellas, we can read those. Um, but the actual last question, which is a two-part, which I believe is a little bit difficult to answer because I think every situation is different, um, is how do you address those kids that have been adopted and then put back into care? And the two-parter to that is how can you explain to those kids that they just weren't the right fit without kids blaming themselves? Let me just go. Let me start and say that we need to stop labeling adoption as forever family <laughs> you know um and it's all about terminology i think a lot of, of what we say drives um the narrative as well so if we can get away from forever family um because we know i mean we've been in this field and i know a lot of you've been in this field for a very long time and you've seen a lot of disrupted adoptions i think if we change the narrative it, it kind of lessens the blow All right, just for time purposes, I, I, I won't respond, but I, I, I agree with Jamal. Yeah, and there's a lot more that I could say. Again, this is a very complicated two-parter. So if uh, Jennifer, since I you did put a name behind it, if you would like to specifically email us at the 220 experience at 220exp.com, we could provide you with a more in-depth answer and possibly some additional resources. And that is also open to everyone else. Um, you can follow us on social media at 
T Daily Jam on all your social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook. If you need to get in touch with us specifically through the website in terms of emailing purposes or contacting us, through, uh, please visit www.the220exp.com. That's www.the220exp.com. Uh, with that, we thank you so much for allowing us to come into yes, your yes. screen, virtual home, space, office, wherever you may be, however you may be listening. And we will turn it back over to uh, Mary. Um, Mary, take it away. All right, I will take it away. I want to thank you guys so much. There was there was so much. Uh, it was so entertaining, but also some really deep thinking and conversation that happens there about. I think primarily it's about how do you turn the no's into yeses, whether it's for the young people or for the families that they're interested and how you really flip the, that around. So thank you. I just want to let people know to fill out the evaluation when they leave the session. They'll get an email later with links to recordings and um, evaluation for the whole conference. But, and we also really encourage people to comment on this session and all the others in Whova and to um, interact with your fellow uh, attendees there. And we'll see you at the next session after lunch in about an hour. But thank you all so much. It was wonderful. Really appreciated it. Awesome. Thanks guys. Thank you. Recording stopped.